if you look at what causes weight gain, it's really a hormonal issue. It's not a caloric issue. Remember, when you take food energy, which is calories, into your body, your body has a choice of what to do with it. It can burn it off, generate body heat, that kind of thing, or it can store it as body fat, right? Which one it does depends on your hormones. So insulin, which is one of the key hormones in metabolism, basically tells your body to store it. So if your body is storing it, then you have a problem. If your body is burning it, you don't have the problem. And this is for the same calorie. Well, that is the voice of Dr. Jason Fung. And I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment because I stalk him on social media. He's absolutely brilliant. Go look him up and you'll see what I mean. Well, as a kidney specialist, he knows that type 2 diabetes is by far the biggest cause of kidney disease. And so he began questioning everything we'd previously believed about diabetes, obesity and insulin. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half by investing in our health and our well-being today. And shockingly, since 1980, the number of people around the world with diabetes has quadrupled. Yeah, just let's think about that for a moment. Since 1980, the number of people with type 2 diabetes has quadrupled, gone up fourfold. So that, when you think about it, has happened in a single generation. Are you affected by it? You know, the chances are that you or somebody in your family is either type 2 diabetic or maybe pre-diabetic, that stage leading up to it. Well, Dr. Jason Fung has written, amongst other books, The Obesity Code, brilliant, and The Diabetes Code, also brilliant. Well, he's a world-leading expert on intermittent fasting and how low-carbohydrate diets in particular cures type 2 diabetes. In his words, drugs won't cure a dietary disease. And he will be explaining why in just a moment. So what role does insulin, both the hormone and the drug, play in managing diabetes? Is it a life sentence or can its effects be reversed by dietary interventions such as fasting? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh. 
Oh, Jason, it's such a pleasure to audio meet you. I have to say I am a stalker of yours on Instagram and Twitter. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you give us so much great advice. And before we actually dive into that, can you talk a little bit about your medical background just to help us really understand how you've got to where you are today? Sure. So I trained as a kidney specialist. So that's a nephrologist. And I trained very conventionally. Uh, so I went to the University of Toronto, then uh, University of California, Los Angeles. And I practice much as uh, everybody else practices. So I do mostly kidney disease. And uh, it turned out that uh, when I finished in the uh, 2001, obesity epidemic was sort of going and type 2 diabetes was going along with it. And so more and more of my practice became diabetic kidney disease. So after about 10, 15 years in practice, I, I sort of became very unsatisfied with the way that medical professionals were treating the entire thing. At the time, it was a conventional wisdom I was taught and everybody was taught that type 2 diabetes was a chronic uh, and progressive disease. Basically, I was just holding people's hands as they went into sort of kidney failure and then onto dialysis. And it didn't make mm. any sense to me. As I started to think about it, it became very, very, uh, you know, it seemed a very poor way to treat people because Mm -hmm. It wasn't a chronic and progressive disease. And all the diabetes associations basically said that if you got it, that's it. You got it. Deal with it. But it wasn't true. It was never true. In fact, everybody knew it. Doctors knew it. Patients knew it. Everybody knew it. If you lost weight, your diabetes would usually get better. And if you didn't have type 2 diabetes, you wouldn't get diabetic kidney disease. So that seemed to me a much, much better way to treat people for those who are willing to do it. Not everybody is, of course, but that's where I became very interested in the question of weight loss and weight gain because they needed to lose weight. So we were giving them medications such as insulin to get their blood sugars down, but they would gain weight. So people would say things like, well, you know, you tell me to lose weight, but then you give me this insulin and I gained like 50 pounds. So wow. how is that getting better? And the mm. simple answer was they were not getting better. They were actually getting worse. And so that's where I really started to think about the question of what causes weight gain. And it turns out that a lot of what we were taught uh, in medical school about weight gain was, my conclusion was that it was basically all wrong. What we are being taught, which was it's all about calories and count your calories and cut your <laughs> calories, that mm. didn't work. Um, and we were pretending, so it didn't work. That was the bottom line. So we'd been giving that advice for 50 years. It didn't work. It basically didn't work for 99% of people. And yet we we're still pretending like this was the best treatment for it. So it, it didn't Crazy. make any sense. Yeah, yeah. it was really quite a, an insane sort of proposition. And the treatment of type 2 diabetes, I thought, was similarly insane. We pretended that it was this chronic and progressive disease. Instead, it was a reversible disease, but we didn't spend any time trying to reverse it because we didn't spend any time trying to get people to lose weight. And that's where I started to talk about, well, uh, if you look at what causes weight gain, it's really a hormonal issue. It's not a caloric issue because, and people always confuse the two because remember, when you take food energy, which is calories, into your body, your body has a choice of what to do with it. It can burn it off, right? Generate body heat, that kind of thing, basal metabolic rate, or it can store it as body fat, right? Which one it does depends on your hormones. So insulin, which is one of the key hormones in metabolism, basically tells your body to store it. So if your body is storing it, then you have a problem. If your body is burning it, you don't have the problem. And this is for the same calorie, right? So it's a strange situation. So 
if you think about it, it's it's sort of like your your body has this reservoir, right? Which is energy, calories, body fat, and also blood sugar. They're ways to store calories or food energy. If your insulin is high, then you're going to try to store more, right? And the thing about when you store more is that you can't take any out of storage, right? Because you're not your body's not going to try and put calories into storage and take calories your body fat out of storage at the same time. So when insulin is high, you're actually storing calories. That's what you're telling your body mm. to do. So mm-hmm. when we were giving people insulin for this blood glucose, uh, which was high, we're telling their bodies to store body fat, gain more. We're, we're telling them, please gain more body fat because that's what insulin's job is, right? So the answer was not that. The answer was we need to get insulin lower. And it didn't matter the calories because for the same amount of calories, some foods would spike your insulin and some foods wouldn't spike your insulin. So therefore, if you eat foods that don't spike your insulin, or if you do intermittent fasting where you're going to allow that insulin to fall, then what's going to happen mm. is that your body is now going to have access to the stores of energy, which is the blood sugar, the body fat, and your body's going to be able to burn it off. So that's a very legitimate, good way to lose weight, which is natural. And it's literally what body fat is for. You're just using it for what it was for. Body fat's not there for looks. It's there for you as a source of food energy or calories. So let your body use it. But as long as you're eating, as long as you're keeping your insulin levels high, you can't let your body use it because that high insulin level is telling your body store calories, right? So in essence, your body is either storing calories or it's burning calories, but it can't do both at the same time. And which one it does depends on your hormones, your insulin. So that's sort of a critical thing to understand not just the number of calories, but what is happening with the hormones. And for, for some reason, you know, most academic researchers and so they, 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 they don't acknowledge the importance of this. They say calories are calories. It's all about calories. And it always strikes me as a little strange because if you take, say, a cookie and you take, you know, broccoli or salmon or eggs, they take an equal number of calories, 100 calories of cookies, 100 calories of salmon. The minute you eat it, the hormonal response to those two foods is completely and utterly different, right? We can measure it. Easy, easy, easy to do. The cookies will spike your glucose, will spike your insulin. The salmon won't. It's as simple as that. Cookies are mostly carbs. Uh, Salmon is mostly fat and protein. So completely different chemical makeups, completely different hormonal uh, responses. And yet we have to pretend that that hormonal changes makes absolutely no difference to the human body. But the human body runs on hormones. That is what tells your body what to do. So it was a very strange situation where all of uh, the, you know, top obesity medicine, they're all talking about just cutting calories when one, we already knew it didn't work. And two, it completely ignores the physiologic reality of the human body. Like, it's, it was a bizarre, it's still a bizarre sort of uh, thing. Well, I think we'll, we'll come on and talk to perhaps some of the, uh, the controlling factors that influence that in, in medicine and beyond. Yeah. But you, you touched there on fasting. Were you seeing changes in your kidney patients initially that then made you look further into obesity in general and, and fasting in particular and diabetes too? Yeah, so I was primarily interested in type 2 diabetes. And, um, you know, so as I started to think about the problem of weight loss, it occurred to me that the hormonal issues were equally important and getting almost no sort of attention. 
And then the other thing that was very strange at the time, this is about eight, 10 years ago, people were talking about eating 10 times a day, right? They're saying how right. good it was. You had yes. to eat small meals all throughout the day. You had to graze all throughout the day. And that was how you're going to lose weight. So I thought that's, that's completely wrong. One, it's not the way that we used to eat, you know, historically. And two, if you eat all the time, you're going to keep your body in the fed state, right? So your body, remember, is in the, either in the fed state, that is you ate, you're storing calories, or it's in the fasted state where you didn't eat and you're burning calories, right? So there's only two states. So if you keep your body in the fed state, then you're going to not be able to burn body fat, right? Because you're in the fed state, you're storing calories. You're not burning calories. So eating all the time seemed to me like a, a horrible way to lose weight. And of course, when I looked into the science behind this advice, there was none. It was simply made up and then repeated so often that people believed it to be true. And of course, one of the major promoters of this was snack food companies. They thought this idea of snacking all the time was brilliant. Yes. Was brilliant dream. for sale. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So the whole idea was that, hey, you should actually eat less so that you can allow your insulin levels to fall. You know, there's other ways to allow your insulin to fall, things like cutting down your carbohydrates, vinegar, fiber. There's other things that will help lower that. But the whole uh, thing, as I started to think about it, was that, hey, not only is the, the what you're eating important, but also the timing and how often you're eating is also very important. And again, it was getting almost no attention. So if you look back historically in the 1970s, people ate three times a day. They ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and nothing in between. Now you fast forward to 2000 and people were eating six, eight times a day, right? They're eating the minute they got up because the, somebody said, oh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, <laughs> which was such a scam because, uh, again, mm. uh, the idea was that, hey, if you wake up and you don't start eating immediately, like you're, you're going to kill yourself, right? And there's no science behind that. Your human body is an incredible machine. It has stores of energy. If you don't eat, you're, you're going to wear down your stores of energy unless you have no body fat. But most of us have body fat. So, you know, this idea that you should stuff a muffin in your mouth as soon as you wake up was like ridiculous, right? If you have nothing good to eat, don't eat. Wait until you yes, do have time absolutely. to make something good to eat. No, I was, I was just thinking about that because I'm sitting here, at, you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon here in the UK. I know you're, you're in Canada. Uh, and I have just had my first mouthful uh, and I'm not at all hungry. I didn't need to get up and eat. Exactly. And most people are not that hungry when they wake up. So basically, if you look at studies of uh, hunger, when are people most hungry in the day? It's actually 8 p.m. And the time of the day that they are least hungry is 8 a.m. That's just the natural circadian rhythm because before you wake up, there's a natural spike in hormones uh, called the counter-regulatory hormone. So your body releases cortisol, releases growth hormone, releases noradrenaline. And it's basically to prepare you for the upcoming day. Not only does it give you energy, but it starts to push out more energy from your stored calories, right? From your body fat, from your blood sugars, pushing glucose into your blood. So you don't need to eat because your body has already prepared you for the day ahead. So if at 8 a.m. people are, are not hungry, why are you forcing yourself to eat? And worse, because everybody's in a rush in the morning, they're grabbing a bagel, they're grabbing a muffin, they're grabbing a slice of toast because it's easy. So you're eating 
processed carbohydrates, you know, white bread and jam, right? So you get processed carbohydrates plus sugar or a muffin. Processed carbohydrates plus sugar, which is about as bad for you as you can. And you weren't even hungry to begin with. So why would that help you lose weight? It's the stupidest thing you could do. But that was the (laughs) conventional advice. You found it everywhere. All the dietitians said it. All the doctors said it. Everybody said it. So it's, it's just ridiculous. Well, we'll go into talking about diabetes uh, and the management and all the other things in just a second. But can we literally just literally backtrack and say, what is diabetes? You know, what is insulin resistance? Are they one and the same thing? Yeah, type 2 diabetes is very simple to understand. Essentially, your body has too much sugar. So if you have too much sugar, then over time, your body is going to try and get rid of some of the sugar, right? So your body can store calories in two forms, body fat and sugar. So uh, there's blood glucose, but there's also glycogen that's in the liver, which is chains of glucose, right? So blood sugar is blood glucose. That's a specific type of sugar. Um, So you have to remember that carbohydrates are sugar. They're chains of glucose, okay? So all foods are composed of three macronutrients. So three major things. So micronutrients like vitamins aren't included because the bulk of the volume of food is composed of either proteins, fats, or carbs. Proteins are amino acids, fats are triglycerides, and carbs are glucose, okay? So when you eat carbs, which is glucose, your blood glucose goes up. Not very difficult to understand. Um, So for years, uh, the diabetes associations told people to eat 55 to 60% of your calories as carbs, which is eat lots of glucose. And then they wondered why people's blood glucoses went crazy and why people got diabetes, because you're eating glucose. If you eat proteins, amino acids, or if you eat fats, which is triglycerides, your blood glucose doesn't go up. And we've known this forever. If you eat bread, the glycemic index, which is a a score of how uh, different foods affect your blood glucose, bread shoots your glucose through the roof. An egg doesn't do anything. Your blood sugar will go nowhere. Same number of calories, completely different effect on your blood glucose. So type 2 diabetes, essentially your body has too much glucose. That's it. As your storage forms of glucose fill up, your body will try to change that glucose into body fat, which is called de novo lipogenesis. This happens in the liver. So, but as you exceed that sort of storage capacity for fat and glucose, which is the two ways your body can store energy, right? Then it's going to spill out the glucose. When you eat glucose, you know, your body can't store anymore. So it spills out into the blood. And that's basically it. Your body has too much sugar. So what's the answer? How do you get rid of type 2 diabetes? Well, you have to put less sugar in, which is a low-carbohydrate diet, or you can allow your body to burn off the glucose. That's intermittent fasting. And both of those have the ability to completely reverse type 2 diabetes naturally and without medication. And if you do that, if you think about the downstream consequences, so you think about uh, all this excess glucose, well, what's happening to your organs if you have all this excess glucose? Well, they basically rot away. So you get heart disease, you get strokes, you get cancers, you get infections that you never see in non-diabetics. Why? Because there's sugar everywhere. You get uh, peripheral vascular disease, you get blindness, you get kidney disease. All of your organs, your entire body is rotting away because you have too much sugar. And actually also with, with diabetics, it's not just disease. It, I mean, it can cause things like amputations. People have their limbs cut off. People are, are made blind. 
yeah, this. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's no joke. I mean, and it contributes as one of the major, major, major risk factors to heart disease and cancer, which are two of the major, like two of the things that people die, right? It's the top two causes of death in, uh, in North America anyway. I think the, in, in probably the UK as well. But the idea is that this super important risk factor for virtually all these diseases is reversible. And it's not reversible with drugs. You can't reverse it with drugs. You can only reverse it through changing your diet. Now, there are drugs now that will affect your diet. Um, you know, there's, there's things that will suppress your appetite and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, in, we're hearing in, a lot about that. Yeah, yeah so it's very topical. And, it, you know, the reason it works is because it suppresses your appetite. You don't eat as much. So you are changing your right. diet. Um, yeah, you are. If you rely Just stop on eating it. the carbs, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are other ways. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, and, and I have nothing against those drugs, but it, 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 it works because it helps you change your diet, right? So it's a dietary disease, right? So this is the strange, strange, strange part about type 2 diabetes. Uh, it's a dietary disease. So what did doctors want to do with that dietary disease? Well, they wanted to give it drug, right? So you're using drugs yeah, to try and your cure diet. dietary yeah, disease, I right? Mean, and they made no effort to, you know, to, to, to change the diet. In fact, they're telling people to eat 55, 60% carbs, which is the very thing that will spike your glucose the most. Like, how does that even make any sense? I've heard the term diabetes. I don't know if that's a medically recognized term, but it seems to be an amalgamation of the words diabetes and obesity, you know, obviously giving the clue that there is this inextricable link. You know, is it literally controlled by cutting the sugar? You know, for, I know many, many of my listeners here will be diagnosed as pre-diabetic. They may already be diabetic. They may be taking medication. You know, what is the advice here from you as an expert, as a clinically medical doctor? Would you say come off the drugs, reduce them, switch to diet? You know, how do they actually oh. go about it having listened to this? Yeah, so essentially... Diabetes, the word, is because it's a spectrum. Both are diseases of too much insulin, right? So remember, insulin's one of its jobs is to tell you to gain body fat. That's a normal, that's its normal job, right? Store energy, store calories, right? So you're supposed to have a period of time when you eat to store calories. And then there's a period of time where you're supposed to not eat, which is your fasting period, where you're going to release that energy. Right? So insulin's role is to store energy. When insulin falls, it releases energy. So that's why you're supposed to have a period of fasting every day, which is why it always strikes me as hilarious that people think, oh, I mean, fasting's bad for you. It's like, you know, it's literally a normal thing. Literally the word breakfast is the meal that breaks your fast. So you have to fast to break it, right? So that's normal. It's a normal thing. So you're literally, if you're against fasting, you're literally telling people you should eat every minute of the day, right? It's stupid. So the, um, the idea is that both obesity and type 2 diabetes is a state of too much insulin. You have too much insulin, so your body is getting the instructions. The hormones are, you know, give their body instructions to store fat and store glucose and store calories. So because you're getting too much insulin, you have all these instructions to store energy, right? So if you think about hyperinsulinemia, if you eat 100 calories and your insulin level's high, then all of that's going to suck into storage immediately, right? So if you store all your energy, well, how are you going to have energy to walk around, right? You're not. So therefore, you're going to go out and get more energy. 
right? You're gonna eat more. So that's why the state of too much insulin is actually very detrimental. Remember, so some foods are gonna spike that. You eat bread, your insulin goes up. Well, insulin goes up, it's gonna immediately take that 100 calories and shovel it into your stores because you told it to. And then, and then you get hungrier. Then you get hungry, right? So we eat <laughs> jam and bread in the yeah. morning. By 10.30, you're starving. You're then hungry. you look for a low-fat muffin. And then you're, it goes up, it goes into storage. Then you're hungry again. You eat bacon and eggs, right? Classic English breakfast. Well, you don't get hungry. Why? Because you didn't stimulate insulin. All that energy is floating around and you can use it. Your body's like, well, let me use it. We use the protein for amino acids. We use the body fat, but you have energy. You're not sucking all your calories immediately into storage. So both diabetes and obesity are basically diseases of too much insulin. And the idea is that if you have too much insulin, how are you going to lower insulin? Again, there's two ways. One is cut down the refined carbohydrates. And two, cut down the number of times that you eat. Because those are the things that raise insulin. So therefore, cut them down. So Dr. Unwin, who's a GP in uh, the UK. I love him. Yeah, yeah. amazing he, he's fellow. Not, he's another of the guys that I stalk. He's great on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, he is amazing. Yeah, actually. really good. And Jen well, as well. Is that his Jen, wife? I think. Jen, his wife is amazing mm. too. Mm. They're both great. So he, he did it for his patients. And in fact, he put, uh, of the people who listened to his low-carb advice, he put 47% into a drug-free remission. That is, he took 47% of the people, he took them off of all their drugs and they went from diabetes to non-diabetic. They were no longer diabetic by, by the way that we classify it. 47% just by cutting down their carbs. And, and, and it just goes to show you the power of the diet. It's a dietary disease. You need to fix your diet. So there's lots of things you can do. So immediately you can start by cutting down the refined carbohydrates, the bread and so on. And then you can add a, a longer fasting period. And you have to think of the fasting period as simply a period of time where you're trying to cleanse the body, right? You're allowing your insulin levels to fall and therefore you're allowing your body to start using some of that glucose. As it uses the glucose, your diabetes is gonna get better because diabetes was the state of too much, right? So think about this. Think about a car, for example. You go to the gas station. Three times a day, you fill up on gas. Now your gas tank is full, but you keep pumping gas in the car. Well, it starts spilling out, spilling out. It spills into the back seat. So what do you do? I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't go to the gas station six times a day, right? You stop going to the gas station, right? And then you drive that car around so that you burn off some of the gas so that the next yeah. time you fill up, it doesn't spill in. That's what I'll, nev I'll never be able to go to the garage again, you know, Jason, without, without <laughs> thinking of that. And, and of course, you know, at the petrol station, certainly here in the UK, you go to pay and you're just surrounded by endless chocolate bars. I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. That's a whole other story. Can I ask you, you know, we talk about being overweight, being an unhealthy weight. What about people who look relatively slim from the outside? Maybe they're carrying a lot of visceral fat on the inside. Is that a concern for diabetes or is physical size a fair indicator? And no, physical size is a very poor indicator. In fact, if you look at a lot of uh, Asian people, so South Asians and East Asians, a lot of them uh, by the classic body mass index are not overweight or obese. The average body mass index, so body mass index is basically your height and your weight. So under 25 sort of uh, normal, and by the time you get, then you go overweight to 30, above 30 is considered obese. So the average body mass index of people, I think, in China that got uh, type 2 diabetes is like 24. It's, it's actually oh, in really? the normal weight range. Mm. So it's, it's not simply how much body fat you have. Because remember, there's two ways your body can store. It can store uh, excess calories as fat or it can store it as glucose. 
a lot of South Asians and East Asians, so Indians, Sri Lankans, that kind of thing, as well as East Asians, Chinese people, Japanese people, they don't tend to carry as much body fat, but it doesn't mean that the sugar stores are not right. high. Inside, if your sugar yeah. stores are high, that's when you get type 2 diabetes. So I see a number of people, they're like 120 pounds, like very right. slender body mass index of 23, for example. But then when you actually look at them, they have a little bit of a gut and their their body, their blood glucose is high. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a real concern. So you can't simply use, I mean, there is a link there, but it's not it's not 100%. You talk about insulin, obviously, which is a hormone. Are there other hormones that we should be aware of within this conversation about weight loss and weight gain? I'm thinking especially for midlife women too as we age. Uh, insulin is the main one, but there are actually um, a lot of hormones, some which you can do about, some which you can't do anything about. So cortisol is a very important okay. hormone. How does cortisol affect us then? That, that's obviously the stress hormone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a stress hormone. And um, we know that it causes weight gain because when we give people synthetic cortisol, they gain weight. So the thing about, you know, what causes weight gain is that it's it's very easy to know what causes weight gain because you can, if, you know, the, the, the test is if you give it, people gain weight. So if you take insulin, for example, and if I give people insulin, like I can really make anybody fat. Oh, I just thanks. have to give them yeah, <laughs> insulin or cortisol. So okay. if you, if you inject really... people with insulin, they'll gain weight. So we know insulin is a key player. It's a, it's a causal f- a factor in weight gain. Same thing with cortisol. If you give people synthetic cortisol in the form of uh, prednisone, which is a drug used for all kinds of inflammatory diseases, asthma, but lots of diseases, you gain weight. That's a very common side effect. So we know that that is one of the important things we think. So cortisol, of course, if you're under chronic stress or chronic pain, it can cause weight gain for that reason, in which case the, the treatments are completely different. So things like getting proper sleep, for example, meditation, yoga, um, talking, uh, you know, psychotherapy, that kind of thing. Those are important because that's about cortisol, not about insulin. Insulin is about your diet. But the other thing that's really important for women is that sex hormones play a very important role in weight gain, which is always under-recognized. And it's particularly true. So you can't, you know, there's a good chance you can't do anything about it, but it is a very powerful fact. So think about puberty. If you look at girls and boys pre-puberty, they're very similar. Once they go through puberty, the girls gain much more fat and the men, mm-hmm. the boys, gain much more muscle, right? So if you look at athletics, for example, uh, you know, an 18-year-old man is much, much stronger and has less fat and more muscle than a woman. And it's not because the, the 18-year-old boy has more willpower. It's because the sex hormones play a huge role in determining what goes on. So women tend to gain fat in their hips, in their breasts, and that's because they're being prepared for childbirth. And the men with their testosterone tend to gain muscle. So therefore, we know that sex hormones play a massive role in determining how much body fat you carry. So why do we deny that? In fact, you know, if you look at most academic doctors, researchers, teachers, it's all about calories, all about calories. Well, what about the massively important role of hormones? Because uh, women have about 50% more body fat then men, after puberty, right? At, at 18, 19, 20, women have much more body fat on average than men. But, but that didn't exist pre-puberty and it's all due to the sex hormone. 
So therefore, that's why women tend to have more weight gain uh, overall, like their body fat percentages tend to be higher than men on average, uh, because probably the sex hormones play a big role. That's why people get a lot of problems during the menopausal era and so on. Not that I necessarily think you can do anything about it, but I think it's important to recognize that this is a hormonal disease and not just a calories in, calories out problem. And the idea that it's all about calories and not about hormones is, is completely ridiculous, honestly. Well, stay there, Jason, because when we come back, I want to talk about eating habits and fasting, specifically whether fat is really the enemy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Zoe Harkham about why fats are simply not the enemy modern discourse has made them out to be. And presumably, Jason, would that be your take too, that actually decades of low-fat, high-carb nutrition advice has actually fueled this obesity epidemic? I, I completely agree with Zoe. Zoe, by the way, is like wickedly smart and uh, like just I love brilliant. Zoe. Yeah, Zoe is yeah, I agree. really, really yeah. on the mark. Um, I mm-hmm. love her. So she's, I think, completely right. I think that what had happened was that people got sort of, people needed a boogeyman. Uh, So in the 1960s, people were getting a lot of heart attacks. And the heart attacks, you know, had risen much, much higher than, than people had 
and expect that nobody knew why, right? And you look back, the answer is fairly obvious. They, people were smoking a lot. But at mm. the time, of course, the tobacco companies were saying, no, 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 smoking doesn't cause heart disease, right? Your doctor smoked, right? So at the time in the 60s, you had this massive increase in heart disease and uh, nobody knew why. So people said, well, hey, look, in rabbits, if they eat fat, they get heart disease. Rabbits, of course, are vegetarian. They eat grass and really shouldn't be eating fat. So <laughs> Shouldn't it, be eating fat, no. Don't feed your rabbit cheese, really. <laughs> yeah, so it was sort of ridiculous, but that was the boogeyman that everybody settled on, which didn't make any sense because if you look at the dietary fat, how much people ate fat in the 1900 to 1960, it stayed flat. So if you're eating the same amount of fat and fat was causing heart disease, why are you getting heart disease? Because the amount of dietary fat is not higher than it was. Obviously, during the World War II years, it was very low, like, you know, everything else. But then after that, it was not different than the 1920s or 1930s. So why would you have more heart disease for the same amount of fat? So it didn't make any sense at all. And the other thing is that people have been eating fat obviously, for thousands and thousands of years. So why isn't that all of a sudden going to cause a problem? And saturated fat because they weren't making lovely cold-pressed olive oil and, you know, shipping it all around the globe. They were chopping up a cow and eating it. It was lard and beef fat Mm. and uh, Mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff, right? So, you know, for thousands of years, people are eating this stuff and it's not causing heart disease. And now in 1970, it's causing heart disease, right? That's sort of a ridiculous proposition. But nevertheless, in the US, they came down very hard. Uh, A government committee sort of said, fat is the enemy. There was no scientific consensus. But once the government said that, then everybody had to toe the line. So everybody started saying, fat is bad, fat is bad, fat is bad. So we went into this ultra low fat era of the 80s. And of course, what happened is, of course, you went from eating bacon and eggs in the morning to eating white bread and jam because that was low fat. It was all carbs, all sugar, but it was low fat. Then what happened was that people started to do that and then they, their sugar spiked up and then it spiked down because it's all refined carb. Then they got ravenously hungry at 10.30. So they ate their low fat muffin. They it spiked up, spiked down. Then they ate a huge plate of pasta for lunch. Sugar spiked up, spiked down by 2.30. They're ravenous. So they went and got some granola bars. And then, so now instead of eating three times a day, people are eating six, seven, eight times a day. But they thought that was good because they're eating lots of carbs. Then, of course, the research finally sort of says, well, you know, fat's not really that bad for you. All these yeah. foods like avocados, at that. olive oil, mm-hmm. nuts, yeah. all this stuff by 2000, people were recognizing it didn't make sense. Then you had a couple of large scientific studies which were showing that eating a low-fat diet really didn't reduce your risk of heart disease at all. If anything, it went way up. And again, if you remember, they talked in the 80s and 90s about the French paradox, which was something we talked about in the U.S. a lot, which was that, hey, if the French are eating butter and cream, with their high fat, why are they having heart disease at a rate that was like to a third of the Americans? Yeah. That was a real paradox. It wasn't a paradox, of course. The fat had nothing to do it with it. It was reality. Fact, yeah, yeah, the fat wasn't that bad for you. In fact, it was all the uh, carbs that were causing obesity and type 2 diabetes. Obesity and type 2 diabetes were really bad for you. So what happened, of course, is that they, they, they had this French paradox. They didn't understand it. All the best minds in America didn't understand 
why. And it was because he had a flawed premise, which is that fat caused heart disease. And it never really did. So my take is that fat has been sort of unfairly demonized. And you see it now. I mean, people still talk about fat. Eating fat is bad for you. Eating saturated fat is bad for you. They have different boogeymen. So they say, you know, if you eat saturated fat, your cholesterol will go up. It's like, okay, but you know, so what? Does that kill you? We, we, we make 80% of our cholesterol anyway, you know, so frankly, yeah. you know, eating a little bit more. Are you saying then if we, if we push this further out, that eating fat can actually help cure diabetes? Eating fat is not something to be feared. I mean, you don't need to eat excess fat because remember that is a way that the body stores excess energy. But eating fat can make you uh, full, right? So therefore, it's going to make you uh, want to eat less carbohydrates, which is glucose. And if your blood glucose is high, that's going to be beneficial. So the whole thing is that remember that your body actually has lots of satiety signaling. So it can, it's, you know, you, you, your body knows how much to eat. If you eat a natural food, generally, it will stop after a while because there are certain foods, like so the proteins will activate peptide YY, fats will activate cholecystokinin. If you eat very bulky foods like unprocessed carbohydrates, filling the stomach and stretching the stomach activates stretch receptors, which also tell you to stop eating. And these are very right. powerful I didn't know signals. we had stretch receptors. They sound fascinating little things. <laughs> yeah, so you have stretch receptors in the stomach, uh -huh. which when they're stretched, tell your body, hey, okay. you can stop eating. And they're very powerful because if you go to a buffet and, and you know you eat a lot of food, you can't just eat another pork chop because you're going to be nauseated, right? And that's the same pork chop you ate like, you know, 30 minutes ago. So it's not the food. It's the fact that your satiety hormones are telling you, stop, stop, stop eating. So fats do that. And, um, you know, and, and even unprocessed carbs will have that effect. But processed carbs like white bread and jam and sugar and stuff, they have no satiety signaling at all because it's been processed out. The protein's been processed out. The fat's been processed out. The fiber's been processed out. So you actually have no satiety signaling. So you eat that white bread and jam and pretty soon you're ravenously hungry because you never activated those satiety signals. I was podcasting recently with uh, Dr. Chris Van Tulliken, who's written the most amazing book called Ultra Processed People. And it's looking at the link with processed foods, ultra processed foods in particular, and this exact impact on hormones and the suppression of leptin, the rise of ghrelin, you know, the things that really are switching on our need to eat and, and processed foods being addictive. It's deliberately being made and manufactured with high levels of sugar and, and emulsifiers in particular and all sorts of interesting additives. I say interesting and in, in, with a kind of caveat, uh, to make us eat more, to make us overeat and to overcome that hormone that gives us the feeling of fullness. Exactly. And, and so this is why I think the whole calories thing is such a sort of a stupid thing to focus on because uh, it's a very sort of superficial thinking, right? You know, people say, oh, just eat fewer calories. It's like, but okay, if you try to go one level deeper and say, why are people eating more calories? Not that they're eating more calories, but why are they eating more calories? Why? Because they're hungrier. So the answer- What's making them hungry? What's yeah. making them hungry? Is it the processing? Is it the lack of satiety signaling? Is it because you're not eating that much protein, which has satiety signal, not enough fat, which has satiety signal, not enough bulk, which has satiety signaling, right? So you have to get into that one level deeper. So losing weight is not about controlling your calories. It's not. Mm. It's about controlling your hunger. 
right? And that's a much more effective way because now you're getting to the root cause of it. Yeah, and empowering too, you know. Empowering, yeah. Once, because... once you understand that very simple dynamic. Yeah, yeah. The calories thing is you're looking at the most obvious cause. It's sort of like if you were to ask the question, why did the Titanic sink, right? The wrong answer is because it hit an iceberg. That's the answer everybody gives. That's not, that's not the answer. Because it was going too fast. If it was going slowly and it hit the iceberg, nothing would happen. If it was going slowly, it could have evaded that iceberg. So nothing would happen. So the answer is not that it sank because it hit an iceberg. You should hit less icebergs, right? Because that's the whole thing about calories, right? It's like you're saying, oh, you took calories and calories made you gain weight. So you should eat less calories. I'm like, no. Why are you eating more calories? Is it because you're hungry? If it is, then how are you going to control that hunger? So same thing with the Titanic. It's not that you, you should hit less icebergs. That's the answer. That's the dumbest answer I ever heard, right? You should slow down. Same as if you have a car on an icy road. It's, it's like it was icy and you went too fast for the road conditions, right? Yeah. You should slow not, down. Not that not, it was icy. It's yeah. the speed. It's yeah. the speed. It's not, not like you should hit less other cars, right? That's not the answer, but that's the calories answer, right? You should eat fewer calories without understanding what it is that goes into that caloric, uh, like why you're eating those calories, why you're, you know, you're not able to uh, control it. And, and if your answer is at such a simplistic level of calories, right, which is the equivalent of just hit less icebergs, you'll never understand. So you drive fast, you go fast, you go fast, and, you know, your advice is hit less icebergs. Right. And you never are able to avoid those icebergs because you never understood because that you had to slow fast. down. Yeah. 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 Same with the calories. You try and cut your calories, try and cut your calories, cut. but you never understood that you never fixed your hunger problem. Right. So if it's food addiction, right, which Shannon Wynn talks about, right, and this is part of the thing with the ultra processed foods with the food addictions, right? If you never understand that it's the food addiction that's driving you to eat processed carbs, which is driving your excess calorie intake. You never fix the problem because you never fix, if you say just eat fewer calories, you never fix the problem, right? It's the equivalent of an alcoholic saying, your problem is you drink too much alcohol, just drink less alcohol. Okay, I solved your problem. Like you're done with yourself shit, right? It's, it's <laughs> like you have help. to understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it yeah. the uh, psychological trauma? Is it your depression? Is it an addiction? Then you do counseling or you do something else. You don't just say, just drink less alcohol. Hey, I solved yeah, your problem. Have a little bit less. Well, you've got two sons and you've got a lovely wife who you dedicated the diabetes code to. So as a family at home, are you low carb, high fat at the dinner table? What, what does that look like for you? Um, we try to cut down carbs. Like we're not completely carb free because, um, you know, it's, it's not easy to and neither is it fully necessary. Uh, it's about balancing. Right. Um, so if you're eating too, if, if you're trying to lose weight or trying to lose, if you're trying to get rid of type 2 diabetes, yes, you should probably be more strict. If you're not, then why? But we do uh, generally not eat breakfast in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, mostly I had done this for convenience years ago because I was just like tired a lot. So I'd rather sleep and so I'd rather not eat. So I just sort of rolled out of bed. But now it's just a lot easier because there's one less meal to to worry about sure. there's one less what less about kids though you know I'm, I'm thinking here of my my kids at what point is this a healthy habit for them to get into should they be going to school on on a full stomach oh i yeah i mean i i let them choose so most uh, through most of their grade schools they they ate breakfast whatever they really felt like but i tried to like we didn't have muffins or 
you know, toast in the morning. Like we, you know, we, they'd have eggs or whatever. Uh, you mean, yeah, to get up like that. Yeah. earlier. Yeah. But as they got older, uh, I think they, uh, most of the time they don't eat breakfast now. Um, my kids are older now. So they, they've made that choice that they can wait until they have a good meal with, uh, you know, cause I think they're probably like, you know, they go to sleep at, you know, 3am as well. So when you have to wake <laughs> them up true. at 8 a.m. Yeah, that, that time-restricted eating is, is, is a bit off, isn't it? I would <laughs> yeah. just think what their circadian rhythm of a teenager looks like. Yeah. I mean, looking at intermittent fasting, you've actually been dubbed the doctor who invented intermittent fasting, particularly by the media. Is this absolutely key? You know, we've talked about insulin cutting back on the carbs and the sugar. Would you say that intermittent fasting, having that extended time period between last mouthful and first mouthful, is as important? What kind of percentage would you rate it in terms of value for us? I think it's it's probably like 70% of the game because... Really? That eat, much? You've yeah, amazed because, me. Uh, yeah. I, and I think the, the problem is that people never think of that fasting period as like that's the period of time that you're going to use up your stored energy because one, if you have a shorter eating window, you're going to in general eat less. And two, if you're going to less frequently, you're going to generally eat better because you're going to be able to put more effort into it, right? So if you have to eat six times a day, four of those meals or eating periods is going to be whatever you can grab out of a you know package of whatever, right? Cereal, bars, whatever it is, it's going to be ultra processed. Because there's too many. Like you can't do eight proper meals a day. Like right? you're not going to cook and clean and wash your dishes six, eight times a day. But if you only do it twice, certainly you can do that. You can make. So, so there's a lot of reasons why cutting down that eating period is more important. Because remember, there are lots of people throughout history who have eaten a high carb meal, like the Irish and their potatoes, the Chinese and their rice, the Italians and their noodles, right? There's lots of carbs all over history. But what nobody had was the lack of a fasting period, right? So you ate and then you had a fasting period. You ate and then you fasted. You fed and fasted. Feeding and fasting. And that's a natural rhythm. As soon as you disrupt that natural rhythm and feed all the time and don't fast, well, when are you going to use the energy that you stored? So cutting down the eating period to normal, even if it's three meals a day with no snacks, that's, that's a huge improvement from the average person in yeah. 2023, right? And that it's, should uh, be very doable, you know, three meals a day and no snacks. But then if we are thinking, perhaps people you know, listening for the first time thinking, actually, do you know what? I'm convinced now I am going to try a bit of intermittent fasting. Is there a specific set time? Because I've heard various different things. Some people say you should go 10 hours as a break, 12 hours. Some say, no, no, 14 hours is the absolute optimum. What's your view? I think that the natural, so if you go back to the 70s, people were eating, say, dinner at 6 or 7 p.m. They're eating breakfast at 7 or 8 a.m. You're talking about a 12 to 14 hour period of fasting that everybody in the 1970s did every single day without even thinking about it, right? And people, like I remember when I started talking about it, dietitians and doctors, they were horrified by the thought of somebody going 10 hours without eating. I'm like, you know that every, literally every single person in the 1970s did that, right? And if you're a naughty boy and sent to bed without dinner, you're going 20 hours, 
right? And nobody blinked an eye. Now people go sort of like more than 20 minutes and people are that you didn't eat something. Yeah, we go out with snacks minutes. in our bags. They're everywhere, every railway yeah. station. It's like you cannot get on this train without a snack, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, I was on a train yesterday and everybody seemed to be eating something around me. I mean, since when did that happen, you know? Yeah, and it's it's part of the culture now because it became so so accepted to eat everywhere, whereas uh, Yeah, to 70s, eat in front of it, other strangers, it was... Yeah, yeah it was just not something that, you did. So, no. so the whole point is that 12 to 14 hours is your baseline. That should be a baseline. That's not going to lose you weight, but it'll hopefully keep you from gaining too much weight. If you want to lose weight, you probably have to extend that to 16 hours. Or you could go longer. I mean, um, you know, I, I haven't eaten since Sunday night. So that's like a day and a half for right now. Yeah, yeah. Are you doing that to trigger autophagy? I, I did a fasting clinic stint recently I did five days to to trigger autophagy and to kind of look at zombie cells and and all of that yeah, is that something that. separate that, um that's something separate so there are other benefits mm-hmm. uh which uh, yeah. are very important but I'm doing it for different reasons I'm going on holiday I'm going on vacation next week so I want to sort of get a little ahead of yeah the... yeah yeah exactly get into deficit before you go <laughs> exactly I'm not I'm not gonna like you know I'm not gonna hold back and be that guy who's like you know, oh, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. I'm going to enjoy myself, but, but I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to make up for it before I go. I'm going to make up for it after I go. So then life in I, when I go, I'm going yeah. to enjoy myself. So if I want to have some, you know, some, 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 something indulgent, some dessert some and all muffins. that, go I'm going to do it. that. <laughs> I'm not big on muffins, but like dessert okay. and all that sort of thing. Okay, right? yeah, so yeah. I am going to, I know that. So that's why I'm sort of preparing ahead of time. Uh, that's the flexibility that fasting gives you because you are able to uh, play with it. Like you can do more now than less when I'm on vacation, right? I'm going away. And then after I come back, I can do more again because my pants are tight then I'll try and get them down again so it gives you that yeah and that kind of playfulness you know not not becoming too dogmatic as a final thought you know in your book you end the diabetes code by saying you hope that we can eradicate type 2 diabetes within a generation how realistic do you think that is I think it's possible, but I think we really need to push. Um, you know, there are companies that are working on that. In fact, Dr. Unwin, uh, both Dr. Unwin's and myself are working with a company called Level 2 in the United States to try to put together a program for people. Um, unfortunately, there's still a lot of resistance to these ideas and so on, and people who say fasting is bad for you. And is so that on. coming from vested interest? You know, is and when you think about it, you know, if you think of the link at the top of the chain, you've got big food, ultra processed food, you've got big pharma, you know, very often yeah. owned by same parent companies. You know, some people will say, oh, well, you know, it's they want to feed us full of all this addictive rubbish that's going to make us fat so they can then feed us with the, the non working diabetes medications. It's just a perfect circle yeah isn't it? It, it it's there's a lot of that i think people like i generally pe- believe that people are good uh but the problem is that if you have a company that depends on uh selling food then you're gonna want to sponsor people who say that it's all about food that's why calories as a concept became so popular because then coca-cola for example would say it's not the sugar, it's not the sugary drinks that are making you fat, it's the calories, right? So yes, Coke can make you fat, but so can broccoli, right? Which is a ridiculous statement. 
And of course, Coke put a lot of money into it. They got caught a few years ago, sort of spending huge sums of money uh, sponsoring universities to say that, hey, you know, this is, this is, uh, it's all about calories, right? So there was a lot of, there was a lot of problems with that. So, but people, you know, but then people believe them um, and so on. But, you know, I think that we can get difference just by, you know, talking to people, letting them know what the stories are. And also people's personal experience, to be honest. I think once you start doing it, you know, once I start cutting out the carbs in the morning, late morning, I'll have a boiled egg. I mean, that's literally all I need. And I feel perfectly well. And I've, you know, I've just had my 60th birthday. I look better now than I did possibly even 20 years ago, if I'm really honest. It's amazing. Yeah, there's hope, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Hope for us all. (laughs) Jason, it's brilliant to chat. Thank you. I know this will have triggered a lot of thoughts and, and very best of luck with all your research. I hope we get to talk again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I so enjoyed that conversation. I mean, Dr. Jason Fung, you talk my language on so many levels, as so many of you will know, of course, if you follow me on Instagram or any of the other social media channels. Oh, and I can tell you that I will be speaking to one of Jason's colleagues, Megan Ramos, all about intermittent fasting in much more detail and its benefits particularly for us midlife women in just a few weeks time so do stay tuned to that make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast so that you don't miss that episode and if you'd like to listen to that or any other episode perhaps Dr Chris Van Tulliken or Zoe Harkham ad free do make sure that you subscribe to the Lizard Wellbeing Show Plus on Apple Podcasts because here for just a very small monthly fee you get those ad free episodes and you get them 24 hours earlier than you do already. Well, as always, I would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram. There's always so much to say and talk about. The team and I are at Lizelle Wellbeing. And if you'd like me personally, you will find me at Lizelle Me. So until the next time we meet here on the podcast, go very well. Watch those carbs. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith.